happy Halloween. We're already recording. Welcome to the Forest Creek Podcast. What were we just watching? Ash vs. Evil Dead. Have you seen this show before? Yes, I have. We just picked it up at the top of season two, the continuation of the story. A story that has continued in fiction for, I don't know, decades. Decades. It was probably, when was it the first one made? Like back in the 80s? Yeah, I think it was It was a long time ago, but uh, that was Sam Raimi's first film. His, uh, what, I think, yeah, I think it was his first film. It was like his debut. It was his debut film, and he made like a cheap, like a 10000 or like less than $10,000 horror film. Takes place in a cabin. Yeah. It's very... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, it was a cult cult classic, and then obviously he went on to direct Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, and then a bunch of other films, but... Before that, he actually got to do sequels to this cult classic. He did an Evil Dead 2 and 3, and I think 3, okay, I kind of mentioned this while we were watching the TV show, but in 3, he literally gets, the main character gets teleported back to the Middle Ages to fight evil yet again. (laughs) Yeah, we're talking like in the Beowulf times real old middle ages and there's like dark sorcerers and armies of skeletons it's very D. I love it there has been video games made about this yeah kind of like a cult classic story ash versus the evil dead the evil dead series kind of revolves around this um well it all revolves around this book called the necronomicon that turns people into scary monsters well, doesn't it, it? It summons the dead. I thought that was the whole thing, right? Basically, you summon those spirits and then they kind of like take over people. So, fun fact the Necronomicon isn't actually a Sam Raimi invention, it's a Lovecraft invention. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, Lovecraft used to write about uh, one of his many stories alongside Cthulhu and all these other kind of uh, primordial evils, is the Necronomicon, which has. Um, part of its origin is that it's like passed down through ancient kingdoms it's like written in ancient Samaritan or something and then it's introduced into the story by uh, an embodiment of Nyar Lothotep who's one of the monsters aforementioned mm-hmm. and then wherever it goes it kind of you know it's this book of evil spells and stuff it'll probably you know the only upside I can imagine is that maybe it gives you immortality or something but like at a horrible horrible price because you sell your soul to the elder gods. You become this grotesque creature that's just wandering. <laughs> I guess in their case, yes. <laughs> what did you guys think of Ash versus the Evil Dead, though? Well, we actually saw the first season. Uh, right. Mercedes, this was your first time watching it, and we started in the second season. <laughs> <laughs> it was... It actually brought me back to childhood. My dad would find the most B-rated movies ever. And we'd watch them all, and this is, yeah, definitely brought me back. Yeah, the gore in it surprisingly didn't bother me. Um, and there's a lot of gore. There was a lot of gore. <laughs> the worst part was to put it short, the morgue scene. I mean, the character, the main character, Ash, uh, in one of the movies, I think the first one, yeah. part of his heroic arc is that his hand gets possessed yeah. by the same force that's possessing all his friends. Yeah. So he has to cut it off with a chainsaw before it takes yeah. him over, and then he 
to fight back against them. He he took he took Jesus's words uh, words literally. <laughs> if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Yeah, right. <laughs> and replace it with the chainsaw. That part wasn't in there, but <laughs> I mean, it's definitely pretty thematic. I think to literally do that. Yeah. And then he puts the chainsaw where the stump is, and that becomes like his, you know, weapon it's his of choice. Yeah. yeah. That's what he's known like for. Like Thor's it's hammer. That and the boomstick, the shotgun. It's those two elements, those two weapons, you know? It's awesome. It's such a genre-based yes. TV show. It's so meta, and it's just, it knows its audience, and it just, it does a few things, but it does those few things very, very well. Yeah, he's like a, that fumbling savior that keeps messing up, but somehow in his mistakes, he's saving the world. That's right. Yeah, yeah so the basic arc we picked it up on you know ashes this necronomicon keeps tumbling in and out of his life and every time it gets close to him it brings back the dead and causes everything to go terrible and he's like a destined action hero that has to fight his way through he's literally a chosen one in this kind Mm -hmm. of story but he's always the one who's destined to run into this problem and he's always you know humanity's savior despite not really having any yeah, he's sort of like the he's the goofy savior. He's yeah, like, did the Necronomicon like prophesy that he was the only one that could save them? Yeah, yeah, he is kind of a chosen one. He does appear. I think that kind of comes to light in the third movie. You know, the one where he does go. You know, it's Middle Ages times. You know, <laughs> yeah. So the prophecy I think does pick up around there, and he is in this kind of story. The destined main character he even wears this shirt all the time that blue shirt that's like that's player one blue (laughs) right there and we kind of came across this thing that he is kind of like a tragic hero Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways you just the whole time you're watching him he's being beat down on by dead people the whole time yeah well he's actually not just beat down by the dead but he's also beat down by the living the living people, like we see that scene where right. Asher Slasher, yeah, Asher, uh, Asher Slashy, yeah, Ashy Slashy, right? He sees his old town, he meets his dad. His dad doesn't have the greatest relationship with his dad. They kind of have some funny moments, but clearly they're not in great terms. His dad kind of beats beats on him, and then he goes to a pub because he's looking for this woman who I guess has the Necronomicon or would know where it is. Yeah, so he and then he goes to the pub where he looks for this woman. Ruby, who would know where the Necro Necronomicon is, and then when he gets to that pub, he sees like all his old, I guess, classmates from high school, and they start beating down on him as well. And so- then the nerdy guy won the dream girl, <laughs> the sheriff. Oh yeah, 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 and the sheriff, yeah, the the Chad sheriff who sucked in high school and still sucks now but he pretends like he doesn't suck because he's a sheriff well i think in this situation ash is the chad and then he would be the virgin (laughs) i don't know if you've ever seen those memes where it's like literally a diagram and you have like one beefcake looking dude on one side who's the chad and then you have this other poor posture walking dude not even facing the camera the virgin and you just attach whatever you want to these (laughs) situations i mean there's like a million meat me- comparison memes. Mm-hmm. But that is an interesting quality about Ash's character altogether is that he's kind of like this high school quarterback kind of energy where he's the charismatic guy who had a great past and then now he's showing up after his life was ruined by all this stuff mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. having to put up with the um, kind of being a reluctant hero. Yeah. I feel like the 
it's interesting when you look at the relationship between the dad and ash right um it i feel like he maybe in his heart probably always wanted to be that hero but his dad is the ultimate chad so he had to live up to that and even it sounded like his dad would even take some of the girls that he was with and and be with them so he had to live up to this like persona living in the shadow of his dad but ultimately i think he probably wanted to take on a hero role but now he does it in this weird fumbling way of trying to juggle two personalities together beginning of season two we meet ash's dad ash williams father brock williams or as he introduces himself cock williams (laughs) 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 yeah it's it does the whole series i think does take on this kind of like raunchy college kind of Sense I love of the, he had that sticker on his truck where it's like, uh, Brock Scott Wood, call me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actual wood salesman. That's like, <laughs> I guess there is something to do with his dad in the sense that like, who's the role model kind of influence? And then mm-hmm. his dad turning his back on him despite kind of clearly being the force that informed a lot of his character. Yeah. Growing up. Um, and I, you know, that's an interesting thing to come to terms with is that these two guys who are not that different, but they're, you know, so at odds, you'd think that they would get along, right? Yeah, it's definitely that classic case of like, when you see father and son or two people, they're arguing the exact same thing with as much passion as the other, but they're totally going over each other's heads. And it was interesting to see like they're both trying to play the victim in their story but they're both basically saying the same thing it's one of the areas where i really appreciate the casting of the show i mean uh bruce campbell has always played ash i yeah. think there was there was just the one reboot kind of attempt at making the serious horror version of this and they i think they gender swapped the character i wasn't paying that much attention oh. but it actually it was pretty decent i'll watch pretty much anything with it's, Bruce Campbell in it. He's awesome. The reboot doesn't have Bruce Campbell in it. Well. But this show does, which is part of what makes it so great. Oh, I, I can't imagine this show without him. It would just fall apart. Like, you just... It's Ash versus the Evil Dead. Like, if you don't have Ash, which is, you know, Bruce Campbell is Ash, then yeah. there is no Ash versus Evil Dead. Like, even from the movies. There was actually a little run in Marvel Comics where the Necronomicon fell into the Marvel Universe, and then it turned everybody there into Deadites. I think he kind of fit in a wide variety of snares. Bruce Campbell really nails that Mm. character without that kind of... What would you say is your favorite aspect of this show, Ash vs. Evil Dead? Because you've actually watched the whole thing. I haven't. Yes. Um, I really like it. I've seen all the first season, and we just watched the beginning of the second season, but... You've spin it. You've obviously watched the, the beginning most to end. What's your what's your favorite important thing? element in a show like this? Is is it fun? And this is undeniably fun. It's really mm-hmm. goofy. Yeah, it goes over the top a lot. Yeah, it's not always a straight shooter with the plot, but it's a ton of fun. And what helps with that is that it doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's it's one of those where you don't mind. Kind of binging it a little you're just like oh one more episode that's not too bad and then you're three episodes deep <laughs> well we're two so we could have kept going but we just we had to record this podcast everybody oh well i gotta get it out in time for halloween 
which is really the impetus of all this. We came on to Netflix and we're like, what are we going to, what are we going to go for? What's going to be the Halloween flick? It was either Halloween itself, which we don't have the most recent ones, or it was His House, which I was a big fan of wanting to watch. But I am a wimp, I will admit. Because you live in a house. <laughs> I, I wanted to watch The Invisible Man. That's that's what I wanted. For the I record. just, I felt like I knew it already. Like, do I have to see this? What's it really you know gonna... it, but you don't know it. Do you know it? No. Right. <laughs> so why are you so confident? Well, I've heard really, really good things. Like it's, I it has like a, like an eight point something on IMDb and yeah, yeah. But when you watch the trailer, it's just a trailer, man. They it's show just you a everything. Movie. They they just tell you the whole plot. You think they tell you the whole plot? They more or less show me the entire movie in sequence. That's I think generally I, why I don't watch trailers. If I'm gonna go into a show, I'm gonna go in blind and like full force. I only watch trailers in one place, and that's in the movie theater before the movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. and that happened to be one of them. And I was like, "Oh, I saw the whole thing, and I saw it in theaters. <laughs> I got my experience. Mm. I'm done. I watched every beat. I was like, okay, she has an abusive whatever. He's figures out how to be invisible. He dies in an accident of some kind. Oh no, he's not actually dead because he's invisible and he's taunting her, and he makes her life hell. And then at one point, it gets over the top, and she figures it out, and now he's gonna have to kill her." Oh, obviously she figures out a way to fight back, kills the invisible man, end of story, roll credits. Got it. I don't need to watch it. Did you write the script? <laughs> did, 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 not, did I get it wrong? I haven't seen it, but nope. feel free to tell me in the comments <laughs> if I'm wrong. If only we had people commenting. <laughs> It'll probably be me. I'll watch it after this and be like, I was right. <laughs> so, Halloween. Right. How do we feel about Halloween? You want to talk about movies that have gone on for too long? What? <laughs> well, Halloween. There's so oh, many of those. Oh, gosh. They've rebooted that movie series like seven times. It's, uh, it's a classic. Yeah, but some things need to die. Like, yeah. It's never... <laughs> die with grace. Don't die when people are like, please, just be over. Not everything is Breaking Bad, okay? That's some the... things need to be milked because there's money to be made. Okay, that's that's how these things work. <laughs> but Halloween, we were gonna watch that. I was wanting to watch it. If Halloween I think ends, you rented it, didn't you? No. Okay. I tried to, but uh, Halloween ends is the one that just came out recently. Apparently, the most recent reboot is just gonna be a two-parter where Michael Myers breaks out of the insane asylum yet again. And then this time, though, when he goes after his old victims, the last survivor of it, this woman he's been chasing the whole time has become a, a hardcore grandma who gets <laughs> who sets up booby traps in her yard and has a shotgun and is therefore too tough and main character to kill. Oh my god. And you I know hope she that will be me one day. <laughs> she like lights him on fire or something in, in a house at the end of it. And this has like the Halloween version of Home Alone, yeah. except for Grandma. Oh no, it's exactly <laughs> that. That's quite it. But she does it with like guerrilla warfare. <laughs> this this is the the second part of it. Halloween ends, and supposedly one of the big plot lines in it is that Michael Myers has like a protege at some point. Isn't it his granddaughter or I? 
I'm not sure, because I heard it was just some random kid and completely different takes on... Because this studio just looks around and goes, what IPs do we have? What can we make money off of? Oh, that one's been a number of years. We can renew yeah. that. I mean, that's that's pretty well how it happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, it's Halloween. October's coming. We need something to release. Start shooting it. I hate when they do that with series. It's like Shrek. Like, after the second, maybe the third one, they should have just ended. One. Yeah, the second one is gold. The third one, pretty debatable. After that, they should have just killed it off. Like, they ruined it. Well, I mean, same thing. Right? It goes, hang on. Do you think Mike Myers is willing to do another <laughs> one of these? Let's talk to the agents. The agents go, yeah, we're good. Call Cameron Diaz. I've actually never seen Halloween. I saw it a long time ago. We watched all of the horror movies as a child, and then we stopped watching them as adults. <laughs> I sat, I would sit through a marathon of the Halloween movies mm -hmm. when I was a kid. My family was completely opposite we were like very very traditional catholics except for halloween we spent like two weeks just preparing everything my dad's favorite holiday is halloween so we dress up we decorate the house we'd make it all scary anyone who walked to the door we'd scare the crap out of them like these little kids and like shower candy on them well <laughs> my brother we took the actual like um, dangerous part off of a chainsaw so he'd run after them with a chainsaw except for it wouldn't be like fully active but you'd still hear the sound of it but yeah we went we went pretty all out every year well we'd watch all the low budget films like a... <laughs> we watched Sharknado that was a classic okay that's that's not even b-roll that's like what is <laughs> what is that's like z-roll <laughs> what's the scariest movie you think you've ever seen that's a good question uh, that is a good question. You know, one one movie that really effed me up as a kid, and I watched it as an adult. It's not even scary, but it was one of those really old black and white classic vampire movies. The vampire was coming at the window and knocking on the window and, and like trying to capture this girl. For literal years, I could not look out my window at night because I was terrified. I'd put a blanket over it, or I'd like just cover myself and pray that I wouldn't be taken by a vampire and honestly I was thinking about that before we watched this film because you wanted to watch the scariest movie on Netflix his house I and still need to watch out it out of all the things out of all the most terrifying movies they've made that one immediately came to my mind I was like yeah that me up for years <laughs> I think it's probably insidious for, for you I haven't seen that many but I remember watching insidious with Josh and being like this is actually pretty creepy. There was like the, the final sequence. I didn't even like, I was like not even <laughs> fully watching it. And I think they made an Insidious 2. I think it, the rest of the Insidious films, I, I, I think maybe the third was better and they kind of came back to form. But I heard the second one was not very good. But I watched the first one with Josh and I remember that actually being very scary. I have a hard time thinking of what is the scariest thing I've ever watched. It's Probably, I think the one that shook me up the most as a kid was I hated Chucky. 
Oh yeah, I hated it I watched so that much. when I was like little, little, like six years old. Well, there's frick. I would oh, run to them. my mom. We were watching in the living room, and I'd run out to my mom. And she was crying. I was like, "Mom, the doll, it came alive." And my dad was like, "It's fine, just leave it." We hear him yelling from the living room. So I'd be watching it around the corner, just like with a blanket near my eyes. And we were small, like we. We watched like Kill Bill, like all of the scary things as like little, little kids. So like the gore and all that stuff didn't bother me at all. It's more of the psychological stuff that will freak me up because my imagination goes wild. But dude, any of the gore, she's like, oh, that's fine. I Mm. could not play with action figures or (laughs) dolls of any kind. Nothing with a face. My toy of choice as a kid after those movies was lego <laughs> i could not mess with any, any of that other those, stuff those yellow figurines didn't scare you too no those no. little boxy legs they're not they're, creeping you out they they don't <laughs> resemble humans enough that i can kind of dissociate a little bit so i mean i find that it's interesting because there's different types of horrors you got yeah. like the gory kind of the slapstick which is more evil you know ash versus evil dead but do you have the more like the psychological horror Kind of more on the you know, celestial realm where there's like spirits or like you don't see. I don't. It's it, not just that. They Let kind me, of, yeah. I have an honorable mention here. Yeah. There's so many people who have come to have a complete phobia of birds after seeing oh, Alfred Birdemic. Hitchcock's The Birds. Birdemic. No, not Birdemic. <laughs> Good one. Where it's like, you know, this old town and something weird's happening where the a literal cloud of birds will just attack people. Oh, a random my friend, die. when I was little, she could not stand birds. She would literally have a panic attack if there was more than three. It happened to one of my coworkers, and it happened to my sister, who to this day is terrified of birds. Did really? she watch it? Yeah. Ever since we saw that movie. Yeah, I haven't. I actually hmm. love birds. I love sparrows in particular, but yeah, I feel like that movie would probably mess me up for, for a while because you always know. If you see three like crows or ravens together, yeah. like you know something bad's gonna happen, like this ominous sign. Sometimes that will still get me, but yeah, I could understand it after watching a movie like that. I think there's this thing to horror that like you can make anything scary. Yeah. But we tend to opt towards the things that we understand as being dangerous. Right. Well, but some things get flipped on their heads. For example, clowns—they're supposed to make you laugh and no, be no, no. silly. No, no, Stop! 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 <laughs> The first clown was an alcoholic who beat his family. Well, when you put it like that. They're not all bad. They're all bad. It is a psychopath who puts on fun colors yeah. and pretends to entertain children. I am actually very curious. Who, who would, like, where did clowns come from? Like, what is the invention of Well, they're of the like clown? gestures, you know, med- medieval areas. So it's like mimes? Like no, it's not mine. Well, it's performance art, right? So some people train like, where did the in red performance nose art. Come from? Well, the big, it would probably because you know the white paint, the crazy red afro. That's also balding. It's just if it's a bunch. If you creepy. studied any medieval text, they would have these gestures in the court with the king, and they were specifically just to make no, the no, king no. and like the you're court conflating laugh. comedian with clown. No, but it's the not. Jester, it's not quite a comedian. A jester in that context was a comedian. But he wore the whole getup. So if you right. mix the both both together, then you because they would have those hats and they'd have balls on the end of it of those silly hats. Then you take that, put it on the nose, and you create these like because they would have the pointy 
like curved shoes, kind of like an elf almost, and just have these kind of like the, theatrical outfits. So basically entertain the king. Find a way to entertain the king. Is that the kind yeah, of... Yeah, entertain okay. the king in the courts. So you'd have these gestures. And if you fail to entertain him, you get killed. You'd literally get like beheaded or you would literally lose your life if, if the king did not find you funny and he's more of a tyrannical king Holy cow. you would actually die so you really had to like this job was serious and you had like these whole performative outfits but i think as time went on and maybe it got less tyrannical kind of uh, an amalgamation of both happened. have either of you ever read king lear or yes. seen it yes there's a fool in that and he plays like this excellent mirror to king lear because he's always saying things that are true yeah, the holy fool, basically. Yeah, in some way. So this makes perfect sense. It's all coming together. The kings would kill the unfunny fools, and those unfunny fools became clowns, and now that's why they're in horrors, because they're basically seeking vengeance for how poorly they were treated <laughs> in the past. Well, at some point it just kind of became, hey, that's the guy who makes us laugh by being an idiot at the circus. Not making balloons, <laughs> so Making it, balloons in front of your children. It is really just a classic... Uh, revenge flick well stephen king's it is like pennywise the clown is like one face of it right because the whole point of it in that kind of series is that it embodies whatever you fear most right and for right. georgie it was the clown like a bogart from from harry potter i get georgie it's a way have you seen the remake no. Oh, the remake's really well done. Really, really well done. Yeah, I at thought, least the I first one. I, I didn't see the second, so I have no idea, but I remember watching the first one in theaters, and I, it was scary, but like, honestly, it was a good time. It was, it was like going to a, it was like a roller coaster or something. Um, that's kind of how I, I thought about it. Yeah, definitely one of the better movies. I'm hearing that currently the best movie in horror out there right now is Smile. What's that one? I've not seen. People say that it is genuinely terrifying, but it seems to be about some kind of possession disease kind of thing where people are suddenly just sitting there smiling and then they do or say something weird that then infects whoever saw them do it, that those people end up smiling. That and would freak me out. Thing. If someone's just sitting there smiling at me, I don't even like when people do it on the best of days, but if they smile and side glance you, that shit would freak me up. <laughs> I'd be terrified. Well, I mean... Is this why you don't like cats? I don't. I'll be honest. Like cats can't smile. You know... Unless they're a chair shot or cat. Yeah. Although that is kind of a worse scenario. So maybe instead of the birds, <laughs> the critics were the cats. saying about this movie that they were like afraid to smile walking out of the theater <laughs> or something. I mean, oh, so that okay, I can it's said to be a pretty connect the dots here and see what the what scary the film might movie be about. But that's a good example of like turning something up on its head, mm. right? In the same way that the clown was, you could do it with a smile, you could do it with birds. Well, I think that's what makes it so creepy is it's something, especially, for example, clowns are smiling. It's something that should be innocent and pure and a source of like comfort and warmth. And the most terrifying thing is when something that should be innocent becomes evil and it distorts reality. So you get confused. It's like, 
is this something that I can trust because it's smiling at me or is it actually evil? Is it going to be deceitful and, and harm me? And I think that psychological twist of reality is what makes things so terrifying because there's a confusion that you can't quite navigate. So you're always tiptoeing and you're like, okay, is this going to harm me or help me? And I think sometimes the most terrifying things is, is in that cloud of, of confusion. Well, that's the thing. It's like what I find with horror films and most horror directors do this is like they the the monster is obscured and they kind of keep the monster obscured and they're kind of it's the anticipation that's the most fearful thing and then once you actually see the monster it's like scary for a minute but then you kind of get used to it well, and then there, it doesn't have the same because you can know anymore. how to confront it if you can see what you're dealing with your mind immediately looks at all the aspects judges it and it's like okay what do i have to confront this but if it's always kept in the shadows you don't know what you're dealing with. So you don't know what tools or strengths you can use to defeat it. And that's- So are you making the argument that the more obscure the monster is, the scarier it is? Well, yeah, because you can see that even in your own life, even in like simple things. If, if you don't have a certain goal that you're working towards or your life is just in this cloud, it, it, becomes very oppressive and you know people get so weighed down that you know you get depressed and you turn to very like drastic measures but if you can see what you're what you're coming up against and it's not obscured then you have a better idea or you can at least plan of plan your attack but when you can't then you're just you're left in you don't know what weighs up, what weighs down, where you're going, and and it becomes you're just like thrashing around trying to defeat this thing, and so that's where terror kind of comes in. If we look at like the, there's a sort of a symbolism going on with horror, where almost always horror tends to have the villain or the the, the horrifying thing is like wearing a mask, or it's like in paranormal activity you don't see it, you see the effects, but you don't actually see the thing. Um, and so you don't was, know when it's coming. Yeah. And then sometimes they have a payoff at the end where you finally see it. And that's kind of the peak. And then eventually it chills out. Because and I think most of these horror writers, they, they intuitively understand. Or they're, they're probably not even intuitively. They're, they fully understand the fact that they kind of suggest the monster throughout. And then eventually they know once they unveil it, it's like a peak. And then they're not going to be able to kind of maintain that same fear, Well, I think because uh, the most suspenseful the thing end. is is your mind like when your thoughts your go, imagination's way more terrifying exactly which is why a lot of times when you watch a scary movie yeah you're scared in the moment but you're fine afterwards especially with your buddies and then when you are alone your anxiety and your mind start creating these wild scenarios and you're terrified you can't sleep you need to sleep with the lights on it's it's too much for you to handle because it's really your imagination and like your anxiety mixed with that that create this terror state. And when you can't see things, but you feel like they're there. Um, yeah, I feel like that is probably the most terrifying. I think people in general can handle gory things. Like, I don't think that's really what terrifies people. We just tend to pair it with horror in general well because preceding the the gore comes the suspense and you're like waiting you're like holy cow like what's gonna happen and then 
like some kind of like slasher thing or some gory uh, scene happens. So would you say then, because it seems like we're circling this idea that fear is generated by uncertainty, like not knowing. I think that's that's a pretty accurate I, assessment. I would agree. And actually that kind of ties back a little bit to Lovecraft because yeah. his big thing was xenophobia. Right. I'm actually reading one of his stories right now. Um, it's called The Nameless City. And oh, it's just about this that. traveler who comes across a city in the desert that's like spoken of by crazy people alone and that people like don't dare to know it. And he finds that it's because this city is older than humans are and that it was inhabited by some weird, crazy, primordial race that was like beyond any concept now. And it's starting to freak him out bend his mind a little bit so he's trying to get out of the temple i'm not all the way through it yet but um but that plays into the fear and uncertainty because it's not conforming with the reality that he knows if you look at most people the the ones that are actually terrified are the ones with the most uncertainty when they feel like the ground is like slipping under them and then they take control in all these kind of crazy ways but it's it's literally driven by fear it's a fear-based approach to almost everything and that's why you're like man that person's so controlling or their anger so explosive or all of that it's because they're trying to take as much control as possible because they're afraid and then you see that even in horror films or even people watching horror films a lot of times i find the most amusing people and i'm guilty of it is when they're so scared watching a horror movie that they just keep talking. They'll talk or they'll laugh or they'll somehow distract because that's their way of taking control of the situation. So they're like, okay, if I have this little bit of control, then I won't be as afraid because I can talk through it and I know what's going on. And I laugh at those people, but I've also been one of those, definitely, <laughs> just to talk through or laugh cope. through a film. <laughs> it's total cope. It's copium. Copium. It's interesting that you mentioned that because it's like now that's uncertainty from the other way around. It's not, it's the monster that's uncertain at some points, not just the victim, you know, then wanting that control, you know, isn't that the thing that would drive serial killers? Like what the most popular things on Netflix in the past while have been like, Ted Bundy, mm -hmm. played by Zac Efron, which we made a <laughs> sketch about. Be up soon. Um, and Jeffrey Dahmer mm -hmm. is the new one. And it's, they kind of almost make, from what I've heard, Jeffrey Dahmer to be like the hero mm -hmm. of the series in some way, despite being the serial killer. What, what do you think is the cause of this fascination with these serial killers we should ask her because apparently girls are way more into true crime i will admit i i am wow i called it <laughs> <laughs> i cannot deny well for me it's more of trying to understand how a mind would work that would be capable of such evil things and and in one sense it goes back to what we're talking about of taking control of even intellectually trying to piece it together and puzzle it. And it's one of those things when you're talking about such such horrific crimes, it's something that is illogical. That is a fact, but people, they generally don't like that as an answer because if it's illogical and it's chaotic, 
then it could be at random and and you cannot make sense of it which means you could be the victim of it but if you try and piece it together and you're like okay let's work out this mind let's work out what victims they were looking at um all these types of things in one sense in a very obscured way and i i, I don't think most people are on the surface blatantly thinking of it but behind the scenes it's like how do i not become a person that fits into that victim kind of box where they could be attacked right so the attractive part of watching one of these serial killer flicks is that you get to psychoanalyze the the situation yeah and and i've watched like quite a few but sometimes like I like watching people watch things because I like analyzing the people who watch, you know, these serial killers. I'm like, well, why are you interested in this? And it's it comes down to this psychoanalyzing and like really trying to piece it apart. When whenever you see fear, most often on the flip side, you'll see someone who's trying who's overly controlling. And but that's that's motivated by a fear based approach, but it doesn't look like that on the surface. And you'll see these people like breaking down all of these aspects, psychoanalyzing things or, yeah, like we said, explosive anger or becoming like these really like top people. But it's a lot of times it's driven by like an insecurity and a fear. That's a fascinating rationale. A couple weeks ago, I read a little little clickbait article, Jeffrey Dahmer's dad giving an interview say, talking about how Ever since this Netflix show came out, women have been showing up and yelling at his house and throwing their panties on his lawn. Oh my gosh. Because of how thrilled they are, apparently, with it. I mean, yeah. there is so also... What is, what is the cause of that? That that, that seems totally different. I, here's to my pitch. Here's my pitch. You start psychoanalyzing, and then you get too close to the material, and then you romanticize it. Yeah, that happens. that's why actual people on death row love letters. Yeah. Lots oh my them. gosh, they have incredible fangirls. They have like so hundreds of letters sent to them in these like fangirling weird sexualized fantasies. That's true. If you if you psychoanalyze too much and you have if you don't have boundaries with compassion towards people, you cross that threshold and then you start justifying things or you're like, "Oh, it's not that bad." Or then you you really start to romanticize things and you get some like really psycho people who you know they write these like really like grotesque sexualized fan fantasy love letters to these serial killers serial killer in jail you think i'm sick look at this yeah well there's this one horrific serial killer in japan and this guy would get and he was a serial rapist killer he's a cannibal and a cannibal. He literally ate his victims. That's the whole point. And he actually Wasn't so that he Dahmer? went. Dahmer did that a little bit. I don't know. A I little think bit, so. just a little yeah. bit. Yeah. But he he didn't even get um, the death penalty. That's because his rich dad saved him. Yeah, but he ended up getting some disability and and some tragic tragic thing. But he he, he basically you know, lived out his days, but people still write him all these love letters internationally. So that's something, yeah, we talk about the psychoanalytical aspect, but then what happens when you cross that boundary, you romanticize it, and then you get into these really disturbing sexualized fantasies. Like, what is that? 
so hold on what is the what is the romanticizing going on here like is it the fact that like oh they're dying and so you're kind of going overboard with the compassion here and maybe you see this no like, it's not romantic... a, a compassion of them dying like you're talking about the serial killer dying well i'm, I'm trying to understand like where does the how, how do you romanticize that well w if we take a few steps back when you look at a case of someone who's in a very like domestic violence they they have this trauma bond there and a lot of times even though you know abuse is going on you've you've connected yourself emotionally and a lot of times physically in these trauma situations and it creates this weird kind of um distortion in your in your brain of love and hurt are together especially a lot of times that comes from mm. childhood wounds like okay. if your parents have been very like harmful and traumatizing but they're also your source of love you combine both of those and that's your understanding okay, that's... love comes with hurt and then you get these weird trauma bonds and then people sexualize that and then you get these really disturbing cases well but like that would make perfect sense though because if sex is a manifestation of love it's sort of like a, a making well it's one love, of the ultimate right? forms an, of expression of love yeah it's a, it's an expression of love like in in the body with with the, so that would make sense that if you've already made that association of like hurt with love then obviously when you make love then the pain has to be involved somehow right so that's yeah, i guess that sometimes that like emotionally some of the and like that. yeah well you and and not everyone who gets into like the bdsm world is is part of this although i do suspect a lot of them have a lot of these types of of you know wounds and stuff um but yeah i don't think you would find people fetishizing or romanticizing people like this without some past history of of like trauma mixed with love and like entering into this like trauma bond world um for me i do like studying sometimes these like serial killers or stuff like that just to figure out how their mind works and and what gets to that point and that's more of like an intellectual approach and i think like for me it could go back to people distorting my worldview of like what reality actually is gas kind of lighting approach so mine's more intellectual but if you've been sexually manipulated in any way i think a lot of times you'll get more people who who look at these horrific people and they're like oh wow like you're you're this vin villainous hero in in my world like they still understand that they're a villain so does the trauma bonding kind of create like a stockholm syndrome yeah Oh, okay. right it does. do you think that's happening like on a much wider scale with all these people suddenly looking at hey that's zach efron that well Ted of Bundy. course it is because look at look at these movies that are coming out um what what was that like uh well, i don't think it's quite in that realm but like 50 shades of gray and like all these novels girl women in particular are much more novel based Mm -hmm. um because it's more like the imagination mind based rather than like i think guys are much more into like pornography because it's very visual i feel like we've eroded some attention spans yeah. i don't know if people are <laughs> i don't know if as many people are reading anymore well no but women it, it is quite oh my gosh it's it's pretty messed up because i i just stumbled upon 
Um, if you want to hear something scary is Dr. Phil on Rogan today <laughs> was like 19% of people graduating high school in the U.S. can't read. 19%? <laughs> oh, I don't goodness. think his numbers are right at all. But Well, it could be. Well, I'm, I'm kind of entering into this Here's world. Here's an interesting question because, you know, part of that uncertainty building, part of that, you know, extending that period in a horror movie, for instance, where you're trying to build that trauma, as we'll say, there is um, the these long poles, there's a lot of waiting that goes on to help create that uncertainty. But if people's attention spans are continuing to erode, continuing to lessen, is there a way to do quick horror? Probably. I mean, look at these children films that are coming out. Um, they're like five second intervals in between a change of scene. Um, and I think probably the horror films, they're cutting things shorter and shorter there's suspenseful jump scare then like all these action films it's one thing after another after another not a whole lot of plot building or character arcs or, or things like that yeah i i'm entering into this world of of seeing the education side like actually in the schools and their attention base is very minimal very minimal so i could definitely see horror film progressing into very like quick well, short well hold on I, sorry just to answer your question 100% I think you can if you've ever had a thought just a singular thought and that the immediate um, you know as soon as you think of that thought you're horrified it doesn't take a lot right and so you won't be able to develop suspense I think suspense does require more time right so that's why like in a film you kind of have this a longer medium you have like an hour and a half to two hours or more to, to, to build a suspense in a short format like on facebook or youtube you have these little shorts or instagram or whatever it'd be hard to develop suspense but you could definitely have horror well have you have either of you met someone with pretty high generalized anxiety like they'll get terrified it's like a knife the thought hits them like a knife. Well, yeah, and and they could be sitting there completely calm, and one thought will send them into a panic attack. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting though is the more like studies that come out, so many more kids, children, teenagers have high anxiety. So little things will set them off, like completely set them off into like a total meltdown. Or, or they'll just be like total shutdown or explosive behavior. Um, but it's more and more. And I think, like you said, with these different sh um, like YouTube shorts or all these Look, different very Stop. Things. I'm sold. What kind of monster <laughs> do we capitalize off of this with? Let it, let's, let's make one. Hmm, that's actually interesting. What monster? Because I think people with more stability can handle the suspense and you can drag it out and it really gets Here's them. my pitch. I think there's another side to horror besides the uncertainty and that's the actual punchline of it itself mm. the the jump scare the here's the monster here's the reveal yeah and a lot of times that's supplemented by something we already know is scary we right. know a tiger's jaws are terrifying mm -hmm. we know the feeling of walking through a spider web is horrible we are already horrified by gore and like things that make us queasy Maybe there is something of just like, how do we just make this thing as terrifying as possible and just jump it at people at the right moment? 
Well, now so. we're like building and building. It's almost like that dopamine effect where you have to give like something bigger and better. Um, That's true. But then you walk it back to like something very plain, like a smile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think uh, I think Ash is the answer to how to uh, address your fears. <laughs> I think is in in a in a strange way, it's actually quite profound. <laughs> because when when we look at Ash, right? So he's like facing all these like you mean gory the, the Evil Dead Ash series versus, like we started yeah. this whole thing talking about Ash versus Evil Dead. But I actually now that I think about it, he the his response to these horrifying things is like the best response ever. He keeps his wits. He doesn't take himself super seriously and he understands that he has a duty and nothing's going to get in the way of him accomplishing that goal, right? He's like, I'm here to stop you guys. And even though like any other normal human being, and it's funny because Pablo in the first season, he has this amazing scream. <laughs> He's still a scaredy cat in the second season, but he has just this incredible girl scream that he does. Ash never really screams like that. He just kind of looks at it like weirded out. He's like, this is weird. Because this he's is gross. And Chad. He, he's a Bruce Campbell. Exactly. He's a total Chad. He's like, and then he just cracks the thing in the face with his, <laughs> with his fist. Or his chainsaw. So it is the answer. Answer to fear. Be like Ash. <laughs> just be a Chad. That's the whole deal right there. His character, like we were talking about before, fascinates me in the sense that he's like had all the glory of being like a hero when he was young and then this cabin incident happens where he goes ashy slashy and it ruins his life and ever from there on he actually has to be a hero but that's a life of pain and everybody hates you and you constantly have to deal with literally hell right yeah to yeah. do it for like no glory <laughs> at all so like in an odd a very strange analogy a christ-like figure we're like, I but it's Bruce him. Campbell. <laughs> it's Bruce Campbell, yeah, and it's just so funny because he's literally covered in shit in 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 this episode. Like uh, he just fights, he fights a colon, he fights a small intestine it's and a colon. By far the most disgusting episode of the sh show. And the colon's got teeth at the end of it, and it's trying to bite him. And then all of a sudden, he it tries to bite him, and it bites the gun. And he's and he what was his catch? Like? I and can't. It's like crawling down, like he's literally crawling up its asshole. This like, town yeah. isn't big enough for two assholes. The only yeah. asshole in this town would be. And boom, he blows it up, and the crap goes everywhere, especially all over it. Yeah, it's well, brilliant. I, that show does a really great job at like taking horror themes and taking horror scenes and styles and then applying it to something like this but the payoff in it instead of it being a jump scare it's like this comedy action routine yeah in some way where he has to haphazardly kind of Jackie Chan his way through the grossest situations I don't want to travel <laughs> so I guess is that the, the real answer to horror is to endure pain yeah, endure pain. Don't take yourself too seriously. I think the more serious you don't take yourself, fall in love while you psychoanalyze serial <laughs> killers. <laughs> oh, gosh. Have your boundaries. <laughs> well, that happens. Like you see in so many of these like silly horror film or like thriller movies, when they get a moment when they're hiding from the monster and it's like you know guy and girl alone, 
they're terrified, but they're, they have that moment where they just look at each other. Boom, like some type of weird romantic switch is flipped. Whereas like, but previous to that, you see a lot of times the girl is just totally not interested in the guy or the right. guy's like, oh, like you're a total bimbo. But in that moment of fear and trauma where something's chasing after you, if you have a brief moment, you look at this person in a different light and that romantic switch just goes off and you're like, oh, I want to be with you. There is this idea that the thing that pervades horror, the genre in general, is sin. The main character always has to do something wrong to right. bring this force in. If we look at, you know, Ash, for instance, he's a jock. He kind of invited this on himself, uh, or he and his friends did, because he's like in a cabin and they're just getting drunk and having a, a weekend. And then he brings up the Sumerian text and in his ignorance decides he's going to try reading passages from it. You know, but the same thing is true across the horror genre in general. You know, it's always like the teens who are doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing, you know, right, bad right. kid stuff, and they invite evil. Well, right? even if you go more classic than that, like Frankenstein trying to have this reanimate brain. the dead. Yeah. That's another thing that gets flipped on its head, like we were talking about earlier, is that the dead rising is a great example of that. Because when you're told the dead are going to come back to life again, you're like, oh, my family member that I lost? Wow, that's wonderful. But they're going to have the same rotting corpse is a different idea. That they're, that they're going to want to eat your brain. Yeah. Like in classic zombie genres. Or in this case, be completely possessed by demons like the Deadites are in the Evil Dead series. But it's interesting to look at so that, that that's an interesting point because there's a there's a book i haven't read it i've heard a talk on it it's quite interesting it's called monsters of the id mm. and this author basically looks at the history of horror going all the way back with shelley and frankenstein and he looks at the context and what the authors were experiencing when they started writing these things and it's true it's like what was the particular fear at that time and so for example he he mentions how the slasher films that started coming out um they were actually because of STDs. <laughs> yeah, wasn't so, like van or um, yeah, Dracula, Dracula, like yeah, apparently Dracula about syphilis. Well, it's funny. I was gonna mention this earlier. One of the first people to play Dracula in film was Christopher Lee, the guy who played Saruman and Count Dooku. Oh, later on. Oh yeah. yeah, I think this is probably one of the vampire movies that I watched that actually did terrify me. It was Christopher Lee. He played <laughs> yeah. like the yeah, first Dracula. Yeah, I remember that. That's true. And he was chosen because he was an opera actor and he's like this tall handsome guy that you just put a couple things in his teeth and then he does the smile and you're like, oh yeah that's Dracula right yeah. there. That's like this charming romantic character. Yeah. And it's so it's interesting because he kind of notes how the sexual revolution that was going on at the time that, you know, supposedly liberated all these people and then, you know, obviously STDs became a big thing and AIDS, the whole AIDS uh, terror was happening. And so a lot of the horror films that were coming out, it's like these horrifying moments were typically happening when people were having sex. Right? So he, like, even he talks about Alien. Right. Like Alien's a, a, a similar situation. And so like they even like give birth to the alien and stuff like that. It's like coming out of them. And then it's like, I think there's another scene where it's, yeah. <laughs> Last time we went to a cabin in the woods, we actually watched Cabin in the Woods. And there's that scene. There's that scene in the woods where they actually, you know, they start, and then the... And that's, the whole movie pretty much hinges on that idea yeah. that, like, yeah. it's the sacrifice of this, these sinful characters that 
is going to, you know, feed the Elder Gods, feed Lovecraft's Elder Gods, feed mm. the Necronomicon, and sustain the whole deal. So what is the fear for contemporary times? You think it's still the same as, as it was in the 70s? I feel like it's changed. I think it's changed. Yeah. Because, like, what kind of horror films are coming? Like, that smile film. That smile film might might be touching on You're something. You're going to catch a smile like you catch COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it's that simple. At least not now. I feel like there's just so much. Because it's not as though the most popular things always have that basis. Right. Right. I think part of the slasher thing, right, is the latchkey kid. The thing that ended that latchkey kid generation where the serial killer started popping up in the news and suddenly you don't want to let your kids go out to play until sundown without like unsupervised right um my seventh grade teacher was a cop and he used to tell us all kinds of stories and he was loosely attached to this case of a serial killer uh who was here in canada who used to kidnap kids and then hammer nails into their heads wow yeah so you can imagine being a parent here and not be like yeah i think we're gonna just keep an eye on them we're gonna keep them close and in many ways that's what kind of inspired the helicopter parenting era but you're correct to some degree and that can create things like michael myers and i can even see how like the satanic panic kind of era yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Creates that, that, that same that, deal. That kind of created a, a whole, you know, a lot of films came out during that time. You know, it's really fascinating because The Exorcist was the one old of, one. Yeah, the the, the original, original one, I believe. That film actually drove millions of people into the church. So many people were terrified after that film, and they converted. <laughs> um, which is interesting, but yeah, there was that. Uh, the satanic panic is was a real event and the films corresponding at that time i think let's say uh capitalized well what's interesting is like at the time it might have created a fear where they didn't want to approach but what i find now like in our times now is it almost drives people to more of a curiosity to dabble in it so like, like the Ouija boards and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. Like they have a fear and they're like, oh, this is gonna like have some messed up shit happen. But like, they're like, ooh, I'm kind of curious. There's Let's something try. seductive going on. Ex- yeah. yeah, that's a good w- way of putting it. There definitely is something seductive there that's that's drawing them in, and their curiosity is like, I know this is probably gonna end poorly, but I'm curious. Mm. Like let's let's just dip our toe in and yeah then they yeah. enter into this hole and pretty soon they're just swimming in the lake they're just splashing all throughout <laughs> and then because they do the Loch Ness monster has to eat them cabin in the woods is awesome that's actually one of my favorite uh horror films because it's, it's all of them it's a parody of horror films it's all inside of, of a horror yeah. movie yeah. yeah and it kind of explains that whole situation very well I am forever partial to watching something Evil Dead related every Halloween now. At least recently since high school. I I was watching the show. I was watching like the movies here and there. Something picking that up. When I was a kid, like I was saying earlier, I I used to do that with the Halloween movies with Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. Because they weren't that scary. 
they were just kind of like a thriller where a killer is chasing you, but like that was episodes of MacGyver or like that, like occasionally. I did watch those old ones, like the vampire movies. Yeah, with we Christopher watched Lee. vampires, werewolves, like zombies weren't quite as much, but yeah, we were really into those as kids. What's interesting though is like, I was just thinking about my time when I was watching Paranormal Activity with my brother, and like it's not that scary, but but I am I do get scared with with a lot of these films. But that film in particular, what happened with my brother and I is we almost chose not to be scared. So we made it into this like mocking kind of joke of a film. You could watch it. Yeah. And you created. Yeah. And, and we were laughing like we were in tears. We were laughing so hard during almost the entirety of this film. And especially at the, the moments that were meant to be the scariest. My brother and I were laughing the hardest. And it's interesting, like we, we talked about how um, some people get into this romanticized, like weird fantasy, but then there's some people that look at horror and they just, in one sense, shut down the part of themselves that should have that fight or flight response. Like they dissociate from that. Yeah, they dissociate and, and create this like comedy of it. And that's probably where you get some of these like comedy horror genre like genres. well sometimes that happens if it's bad that's part of the reason why the first evil dead became that cult classic <laughs> is that it was a student film that didn't go so well and because of that it actually turned out to be great yeah well but but there is something to say when you look at something quite grim for example it's not quite horror maybe for some it is but at funerals sometimes that's the time you kind of chuckle the most when you really shouldn't um but like what is that when when you are confronted with something either like scary well, some or people sad like to say grim. you're not dealing with your emotions because you're hiding in a comedy or you're not dealing with the serious thing and then other people say that's a good you know spirited way to approach grief or so in many cases horror yeah the not taking yourself too seriously aspect of, of what yeah which is what makes ash versus the evil dead yeah. awesome yeah yeah but also at the same time not that scary because they do have a lot of the sharp teeth and the dead looking things and the gore it takes the edge off yeah takes the edge off right so ash versus evil dead is like it's gore with a big pint of beer (laughs) that's what that is (laughs) do you guys have a big halloween plan what do you plan to dress up as for halloween are you gonna dress up i dress up as you and you can dress up as me. We'll just swap clothes. And I already we can have a show costume. up to Josh's party, and we'll have a good time. Wait, what's your costume? I'm the Grim Reaper. Oh come on! That's my new favorite thing. I love being the Grim Reaper. Is that just gonna be you in a bathrobe and having a little staff? <laughs> yes, sir. It's the perfect costume. It's so little effort. It's immediately recognizable, mm. and I get to just chill in a bathrobe all Halloween while everybody else is in makeup. Yeah. See, because of probably my upbringing i can't do low effort for halloween it's either nothing or all out and i think this year i've been wanting to for a couple years but i want to do some kind of like steampunk-esque um kind of gear makeup i do a lot of special or i used to do a lot of special effects makeup um i did a pop art zombie a a couple years ago but 
I've been having this one idea for a costume. I don't really do costumes. I do the makeup part and the costume part suffers. It does. <laughs> um, well, you do the makeup part well, and then you can afford to be a little bit lazy. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly what happened. Like right. I was late as I generally am to things, and and it was five minutes. Everyone had their votes in for the best costume. I walk in five minutes before they were gonna say it, and then unanimously they're like, "Oh, Mercedes has it for like the Pavart zombie." But it's it's things like that that I I do enjoy. Um, but yeah, it just it takes a lot of a lot of effort. Two three hours just doing your makeup. So you're like minimal effort. Mine's like probably maximum. I did this really, really, really low effort one once where I printed out the warning label that goes on laser pointers and I put it on my back and then I put a pie tin in front and a red solo cup on my head <laughs> and I was a laser pointer. That's so. awesome. Well, what one year I was in college and I did this kind of Cleopatra, like fully gold. I actually put effort into my costume this time and I came second place and probably should have won first place but <laughs> the person i went with she went as trump and like paint her for face orange and do the like the 2a thing she won hands down and i laughed so hard like it was this weird like minimal effort but just like perfectly orchestrated costume <laughs> and i wasn't even upset she walked by and perfect impression everything i was like yeah i i'd vote for you too it was it was brilliant <laughs> I mean, I think probably some of the most effort I've ever put into a costume, you can go on our YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash at the real Forest Creek. YouTube does handles now, and we, we couldn't get the Forest Creek. We had to get the real Forest Creek. Mm -hmm. There's some empty account that has it, no contact information. Interesting. I don't know. But uh, if you go on to our YouTube channel, you can find a sketch of me in Murder Hornet costume. <laughs> and it was, I just got a yellow t-shirt. And I, you know, did black tape around it to do the stripes. And then I did face paint and everything. And then Aiden helped me shoot it. Like, he was holding the camera the whole time I was doing it. And then afterwards, we're like, well, do you want to go to McDonald's? I was like, yeah, let's go to McDonald's. And I was most of the way to McDonald's with him. We were walking. I was like, Aiden, I feel like I'm wearing blackface. <laughs> I'm not sure I can go into the McDonald's. But I did anyway. <sighs> I had a friend who literally did blackface, but her character was what? from Tropic Thunder. I know who oh, it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's... Names shall not be named. But yeah, that <laughs> person would like lose their job now. Yeah, but it, she she did it perfectly. Oh my gosh! It, yeah, it was. What was it? Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, is, who did that? That's oh my amazing. God, my that movie was incredible. That's another thing people are are worried about as a genre. Is that no good comedies are made anymore? Well, because everything, everybody takes things. It's either too personally, you know. But Kevin Hart screaming, <laughs> this or is... The Rock, who can't lose and kind of does action films now anyway, or it's Seth Rogen. I don't know. It's just the same thing over and over again. He's kind of, yeah, I'm not crazy, but like with the Robert Downey Jr. Like Tropic Thunder is hilarious. It is a hilarious film, um, and there's so many wild and crazy characters throughout that entire movie. But like Robert Downey Jr. He was obviously hesitant about doing this yeah. role. He asked his black friends, namely Jamie Foxx. <laughs> yeah. He's like, can I do this? And then he did his impression and Jamie thought it was freaking hilarious. 
And there's even videos of like black people reacting to Tropic Thunder and they love it. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like it's it depends on, you know, what was the intention if behind it. If people can tell that you're not taking it seriously, yeah. You can do so much stuff. Yeah. Have so much fun. And that's Well, yeah, but people again, we go back to and that's why people are suffering so much now is because everyone takes themselves way too seriously. For example, something as simple as The Office, even the characters, like, we could not do that Mm. series today. But there's, like, hilarious elements, but they didn't take themselves seriously. Yeah. You can't afford to make anybody look bad because you have to empathize with everybody. And that can also take the air out of your tires in terms of a story because you can't have villains anymore. Yeah. Everybody has to be sympathetic. Politically correct. Right. Which, you know, that's making it, I think, increasingly difficult for content creators we even have to like jeffrey dahmer apparently (laughs) yeah you would have to sympathize genuinely you'd have to be like well we don't really know like that childhood he has or we don't really know what state he was disney can pick this up right now i'm pitching the next mcu character is just a serial killer (laughs) it's just it's jared's serial killer from the sketch we just did like the full-on inversion it's a complete inversion. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we're now the, the, the heroes are villains and the villains are heroes. But so. artists predicted this. Like if you look through yeah. films, movies, like books. If you look at postmodernist art, any other final thoughts about Halloween? It's a fun holiday. I always find this time of the year, I get a certain taste for the macabre. Everything around me is dying and... Halloween is just, it's just, you it, you need it. It just satiates. It's like you're a whole, all fall, you're kind of craving. Pumpkin this, spice. Yeah, you're just craving That's it. That's the and thing it, I really it, want. <laughs> and then Halloween just is the, just satiates that, that desire, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like everyone has that melancholic like aspect to them. And there's yeah. this beauty in the grotesque aspect of things. I just feel bad for all those sweet nice goths that work at the spirit halloween (laughs) that'll just be like the unemployed elves of santa's workshops Mm. after christmas with nothing to do oh yeah there's like christmas wars too actually maybe we should watch one of those i i've heard they're really bad though they're Uh, mostly i I think i remember reading about one good one but we'll figure it out yeah until next time until next we'll be back in december no i'm kidding we'll be back next week with more tell all your friends we're at the forest creek most platforms youtube and spotify and instagram primarily i looked into twitter yesterday or actually today because today is the day elon bought it and started firing everybody set the birds free (laughs) yeah maybe i'll look into it again but i just i can't imagine it's gotten any saner well i mean I feel like everybody who's already been banned has probably moved to like Parler or found some other means. And yeah. who knows? Maybe their life has gotten significantly better since being banned from Twitter. I wouldn't be surprised. If- Kanye's looking for somebody you know. new. I'm going to pick up a phone. I'm going to call Kanye. Um, anyway, tell your friends at the Forest Creek, at the real Forest Creek on YouTube, apparently. So you have two different names. Listen, it's just the Forest Creek. And if I find the person who took at the Forest Creek on YouTube... I'm going to write you a very sternly worded email 
and then an offer to buy it from you. Uh, <laughs> in any case, yeah, we got some pretty fun sketches coming up. A lot of things coming. Lot a lot couple. Coming. We're going to try to put them out before Halloween. Really? Yeah. If oh. I can make you and Jared work hard enough. Uh, I am very busy. I don't care. <laughs> Help. Help. Is anybody listening? Help. Whether it is birds or smiles or jack-o'-lanterns or deadites or Jeffrey Dahmer or your unresolved trauma bonding issues. Stop it. Face your fears. Bye. <laughs>